there's an awful lot of heartache and we see things that normal people don't see and a lot of us don't like to talk about it. I didn't talk about it for 10 years. I managed to make it 25. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service just like you from coast to coast. What do you tell people when they ask about your job? Most firefighters will hit the high points talking about successful rescues or big, but non-fatal, fires. The general public has no idea what a firefighter really sees over an entire career. Or, as Will Smith put it, And that's why we keep the reality hidden away, says today's guest. Captain Michael Morris is a retired Providence, Rhode Island firefighter. He has nearly three decades on the job. He's an author and will tell you how you can get hold of his books after the interview. And he's a speaker as well. Michael Morris joins me now. Thanks for being on Code 3 today. Oh, thanks, Guy. Pleasure to, pleasure to be here. You wrote a serious article on a subject that a lot of people write funny articles about. Why? Every now and then I do um, try to articulate what it really is to be a firefighter. I have a tendency, even with my family and my friends, when they ask, you know, hey, what's it like to be a firefighter? I, I always lean towards, if not the humorous and the lighthearted things, you know, oh, it's the greatest job in the world. We eat like kings. We drive big trucks and it's a great job and it's a lot of fun. Um, sometimes you just kind of have to tell more of the truth than you usually do. And that's what I did in that article. What are the ugly truths that everyday citizens don't understand? I found that with all the good that it that we do on the job and all the good times and the camaraderie, there's an awful lot of heartache and we see things that normal people don't see. And a lot of us don't like to talk about it. I didn't talk about it for 10 years. I managed to make it 25. Um, when I started talking about the, you know, the, the, just the, uh, the bad calls, if you will, you know, I, it just, I thought it was important to, to let people know exactly what it's all about. And that is, the uh, you know the horrific car accidents, the fatal fires, and uh, things like that. They just build up. They don't happen all the time, but they do build up. And as they build up, you develop a harder shell. Some people end up with PTSD. Do you think people understand that firefighters deal with this? I think people are starting to realize it a lot more. I certainly, I never thought I had any problems while I was doing the job. It wasn't until I, I had retired that I kind of realized once once the, the adrenaline rush was over and I had a lot of time to, to reflect in that uh, call, but the, the intensity, of, you don't even realize what you're going through while you're going through it. So if we don't even realize it, I couldn't imagine that the public would realize it. Um, I have a brother that came back from Iraq and Afghanistan and he's, he's being treated for PTSD. He actually set me straight and he said the things you have seen over 25 years i can't even comprehend and here's a combat veteran from two wars 
So, you know, it's, it's real what I was going, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD, although to this day, I still don't a hundred percent buy it because I was just a little troubled, you know, and I couldn't sleep and I'm kind of miserable and cracking at my family. <laughs> so you were diagnosed with PTSD, but you're not really sure you have it? We're the last to know. Uh, it's a typical firefighter. We're the last to know. I, I, you know, it's it's kind of living in my brain is it's a it's a it's a weird place. I'm in denial most of the time that I'm sad, that I'm angry, that I'm not the same person I was when I started twenty. Oh, Jesus, twenty seven years ago now. Jeez, I, I it's just hard for me to accept that I couldn't handle it as well as I thought I was. Do you ever tell people outside the fire service the truth, or do you give them the polished version? I always, without doubt, give them the slightly polished version. It's just my nature. I don't want to I don't want to burden anybody. And I think they ask that question expecting an answer, and I don't think they're ready for, you know, the the hard truth. I could uh, if you read the article, if, if your listeners have read the article, that's kind of the hard truth. And to just, you know, blurt that out of nowhere, I, it's it would shock people. And I'm not I don't want to shock anybody. I really don't. I, I would like them to understand. I wrote that article for firefighters. I didn't write it for the general public, even though I titled it, you know, things that the general public doesn't understand. It's, uh, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, you know, it's people, they don't, they want life to be neat. They want life to be easily packaged. They want firefighting to be Dalmatians and parades and fire prevention week um, with a nice rescue every now and then where the baby lives. They don't want, they don't want to know um, that the baby doesn't live. That they that people don't get out. It's it's hard. I don't want to be the bearer of bad tidings. That just uh, that's, that's that's hard. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. TV and movies have taught the public the good guys, the firefighters in this case, usually win. But it's not really the case. It's difficult. It really, that is, and we know as firefighters, that's what the job really is. Unfortunately, I believe, um, well, not unfortunately, kind of just the way it is. I believe that kind of as our job, as our mission, if you will, to keep the citizenry safe and to do our best to, you know, do the rescue, to pull off the uh, the unthinkable, to make, you know, miracles happen, I guess, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I think the public needs that. I think they need to think that, you know, it is, it's, it's yeah, there's going to be bad things, but we don't want to think about that because it's mostly good. And those guys are going to be, those women are going to be there and they're going to, they're going to make it happen. They're going to make things work. And, you know, society, even nowadays, it seems very, very chaotic and very undependable. So if somebody is there to depend on it, may as well be us, I guess. What do you do when you lose a patient and the victim's family says you didn't try hard enough? I worked in the inner city on Rescue One. We did, oh man, we did like six, 7,000 runs a year, um, 10% overdoses or so. I don't know if that's the real number, but there were tons of them. And I, I don't know, I was very, very fortunate. I just had a way with overdoses. I kind of understood, and I, I was never judgmental. And I think I managed to, you know, keep that respect, um, not just to myself, 
family, they, they would get upset, they would, but they could see by my actions and my crew's actions that I was legitimate, that I did everything humanly possible, and I really wanted to succeed. And when it was just too late, it was just too late. And I think people understood that. So thankfully, no, I never had to deal with that. Shootings, on the other hand, I used to get all sorts of trouble from those folks. We responded to a lot of shootings and the emotions are very, very high. And the people that are involved in the shootings generally are gang members. Gang members are generally not the most educated people and they see things in black and white, me being white, them being black for the most part. Racism card gets thrown about a little bit. You didn't try. If he was a white guy, you would have tried a little harder, if, you know, that kind of thing. And it's it's kind of silly. Most of my crew are Hispanic or black anyways, but I was in charge and, you know, I was the face of the uh, recitation efforts. And when it doesn't work, people, they really do get angry. There's really a deep disconnect, isn't there? It's a kind of a, not just part of the burden, I believe, that um, firefighters bear. The expectations, not only from the general public, that we're going to make their problems go away, but also from our friends and family that we're going to make the general public's problems go away and we're going to come out of it unscathed. I didn't come out of it unscathed. It took me a long time to admit that. Um, My wife would admit it pretty readily. I'm kind of a more somber person than I was when I started. Plus, I got old, too. I mean, you get somber as you get older. But (laughs) I think that the the job kind of wears you down. It really does. You see the things that, like, you don't have that um, that that vision of the world as being a fair place of, of, you know, good things happening to good people and bad things happening to bad people. You see bad things happening to good people far too often. And it's just uh, sometimes it's a bit much and it does. It wears you out. That it does. All right, Michael Morris, thank you for joining me on Code 3 today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, thinking of me. And we've put info about Michael's books on our website at code3podcast.com slash secrets. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. When and where was the first practical fire engine tested? I'll have the answer right after this. Ever notice that Scott always tells you that you can get a guest's book at our website, code3podcast.com? That's because we have links to order their books from Amazon on the episode's show notes pages. It makes it easy for you to get the books, and it helps support Code 3. When you buy Amazon through our website, we get a small cut too. And it doesn't cost you any more to order through us. Plus, there are other firefighter-related products there too. Take a look at Code3Podcast.com. Here's your trivia answer. The first practical fire engine was tested in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1853. And one more note, I was a guest on another podcast, it's called The Fire Rescue Show. There's a link to the episode on our show notes page if you'd like to check it out. Alright, that's it, that's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening, I'll be back next time with more and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr and until then, see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.